Uh, Barrett, thanks for joining me. Um, maybe the best place to start, man. Do you want to kind of tell me where, you know, your whole entrepreneurial journey started? Yeah, man, for sure, Lewis. Thanks for having me on. Um, my uh, entrepreneurial journey started uh, probably back when I was a kid. I was always super interested in, in building companies. I come from a line of uh, entrepreneurs. And then when I got to college, uh, we noticed an opportunity. There's a high um, percentage of international students at the school we went to. So we offered to store those kids' stuff over the summer where they went home. And I think we had something like 67 students sign up for our service. We made like maybe $22,000. And we compared that against what we were making at our internships for the summer, which was like $5,000. And we're like, okay, so we made 22,000 in three days, or we can make 5,000 the whole summer. So once, once we saw that kind of come full circle, we said, okay, this is, you know, something I'm, I'm really interested in and, and, and want to pursue. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. Cause like, obviously that's a lot of money at how old did you say you were? Yeah, we were probably, uh, it was probably, we were probably 20, 19 or maybe 20. 20. Okay. Cause yeah, not many 20 year olds are making more than, you know, $20 an hour, right? They might be in college working yeah. in a bar. So like, how did that shift your mindset around like money or like, you know, what you could actually achieve? Yeah, for sure. So the big, that was the, really the big thing that I noticed is I transitioned from thinking about money in terms of like a salary in terms of how much value you can add in a certain period of time. And that was really also the first time I experienced any sort of leverage is, you know, we had people who were helping us working for us on our behalf. And then we also had on the other side, we had a website where people were signing up and with their credit cards while we were sleeping. So I was like, you know, we're making money on, on this end, getting the customer more asleep. And then we're having somebody else services. So we we really started to, like, I really learned that money is a function of of setting up a process that delivers value as opposed to trading your time for something. And so <clears throat> theoretically, people understand that when you see it happen in front of your eyes, and then you see that money deposit into your bank account, it kind of becomes a little more real. Um, and that, that was really a, a turning point for me, for sure. Yeah, man, it definitely does. Like it's, you know, I've said this to a few people, like the most memorable moment in business for me was my first sale because it it proved yeah. that it was possible. And it's like, you know, you hear about people, you know, starting businesses and making money, but until you've done it yourself, you actually, you know, you don't, I don't know, fully believe it's possible in a lot of cases. So it's really cool that you were able to do that. And like, I guess from there, like what, what kind of things have you, you know, gone on to do now? Yeah. So out of that business, uh, we actually started a commercial storage company called On Demand Storage to this day, which we own um, and operate the company. We also buy real estate for the company in the metro Boston, Massachusetts area. Uh, we help all sorts of companies, pharmaceutical companies, um, uh, manufacturing companies, colleges, universities, just store their excess stuff. Space is very hard to come by in this area. Uh, companies don't want to go lease their own. So there's, there's a need... Uh, definitely geographically in this area for the service. So we've been doing that for about seven years. Um, and now we're into the second phase of it, which is purchasing real estate with the company cash flow, which is very exciting. The other thing I did through that business, I picked up uh, search engine optimization skills because uh, we didn't have any money to market. So somebody had to learn it. It was me. And then I started an agency called Brightline Media. And over the past really six years, we've built an engine to acquire backlinks for companies, which I think is one of the uh, best that I've come across. And we work with very large companies and smaller companies, and we help them acquire niche relevant backlinks to help them improve their web traffic. And so we've, we've built it to a pretty good size and that's uh, fun. Yeah, man, that's amazing. 
And so obviously with the SEO, that's a lot of, you know, inbound traffic, right? So like for you, when it comes to, I guess, marketing your business, have you found that, you know, SEO has been, you know, the most successful method or is there anything else you've tried that's been, you know, just as successful? I'd say for our storage company, uh, SEO has definitely been the most successful. That's really where we invest a lot of our time. We're, we're not trying to get the most traffic with that business. We're just trying to get the right traffic. Uh, on the... Um, Coincidentally enough, on the the SEO agency side, I've gotten a lot of business from Twitter. I've grown my Twitter account to almost 100,000, just kind of tweeting about the stuff we're talking about now. And I just get a lot of people that reach out to me or follow my newsletter. And uh, that's really how we've I've grown that. Um, also done some cold email in the past too, which I think can be effective. I think that's gotten a lot harder in the last probably 24 months um, with COVID and everything. I think people turn to that as a method they could really scale from home i I don't know about you but my inbox gets inundated with stuff that i I don't remember signing up for asking for quite a bit so uh but yeah seo has been been great for for all my companies but i think organic social because of the authority that comes along with personal brand i think in the next few years is really going to be the place that that entrepreneurs should be investing to be the face of their company i think people want to do business with people in an increasing manner yeah, man, I, I 100% agree with that statement. I preach that a lot. And like when it comes to your Twitter, yeah, you've obviously got nearly 100,000 followers. Like what what would you say, like, you know, your one to two keys to having grown so, you know, well on that? I think the the first piece is um, you need to consistently post. And I think posting valuable threads, um, really that are, I think, tactical. And a big piece, if you look through my writing, is like I try to do a lot of no-nonsense stuff. Like I don't do like listicles of like popular books and stuff like that. I try to keep it more like here's what here's how to increase cash flow in your business and like here's how I do it. So it's very like I'm tweeting about the things that I'm doing. So the way that I think about Twitter is the intersection of what I'm doing and what I'm learning. And then that becomes very interesting because it has my own personal spin on it. So it's hard to copy what I'm writing, but then it's also it keeps me learning and and learning new things and trying new things and then reporting back. It's almost like an accountability piece. And then the second thing for Twitter is to actually make friends on the platform and hop on a zoom call like this and get to know each other because at the end of the day, people want to support their friends. So if you can build a network of actual friends, then when you post something, people engage with it. And then you just, you just start to grow that way as well. Yeah, man, definitely. Like I'm, I'm very new to Twitter. And one of the things I've realized is like of all the platforms, it by far has the best community, right? Like there's yeah. obviously, there's obviously toxic side of money Twitter, as you probably know, there's some you know yeah. young, very egotistical um, type of people. But I think as a whole, like I've never actually seen a platform where it's like, it's just so like open and transparent. I feel like you can't really get that on other platforms. Facebook's probably the closest, but yeah, I think Twitter is like a, a great, like, I guess, asset or, or resource for anyone looking to to build their business and personal brand, right? Yeah. A lot of the things that I learned about business building came from Twitter. I was like a Twitter lurker for a long time, really just kind of digesting information rather than creating for the platform. I do think Twitter is one of the harder platforms to grow on, but I also think it's the most valuable in a B2B fashion. Like people are really looking for connection there. Like I know people that have raised millions of dollars for their real estate deals. I know people that have sold their company, people that have bought companies. So like really high ticket transactions that are coming from, from social media. It's basically like networking on steroids. So that's where I think the value is. And yeah, if you curate your feed the right way, you can push aside like the, 
the young guys who will tell you they're making a hundred million dollars a month when they're not, you can push aside the guru people and you can get to this really nice balance of like real people doing interesting things and actually sharing what they're doing. It's hard to have a steeper learning curve than that. Um, if you know, when you have access to that every day. Correct, man. Correct. It's, um, yeah, it's hard to get access to that information. I feel like Twitter is very, like people just share very openly and they, a lot of times don't hold back. It's the, you know, the whole nine yards, if you will. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Yeah, man. So like out of your, I guess your businesses, has there been like one moment that you could say has like been the most satisfying moment for you in business? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, we we had a pretty cool story. So a a guy who um actually sold his company for for like four hundred million dollars, who inspired us to originally take our entrepreneurial leap in college, but he never really knew he did it. The guy's actually a pretty well known investor um, in Silicon Valley. His the company that he sold is well known tech company, uh, relatively well known, and he actually signed up for our service, uh, with like unbeknownst to him which was pretty cool. Like this guy kind of inspired us when we chatted with him on like this coincidental train ride when the Red Sox were playing in the world series. Uh, and then seven years later, he signed up for our service, which was like really kind of weird. Like it almost, you know, it felt like he was uh, keeping tabs on us or something, but he did. And it was, that was a pretty like cool aha moment. But other than that, I've actually just been like, kind of had a, just steady growth. Like, I think that's more sustainable rather than like, we've gotten close to, we've almost went and raised capital, but we always just come back to like, we want to own this stuff. We just want to build it year after year and compound it, you know, for 10 or 15 or 20 years and just reap the rewards that way, as opposed to try and rush to make things happen. So I wouldn't say every day is over the top exciting, but when we look back, it's like, we just keep climbing that mountain every year. And I think we'll continue to do that. Yeah, it's really cool, man. It's interesting how things kind of happen where it's like, you know, things almost go full circle and it's a really great story how, you know, that guy actually signed up to your services. Yeah, but, it was cool. You know, like once you just said like steady growth, right? I feel like everyone's looking for like this hockey stick style growth, which is obviously, you know, as I'm sure you know, really not like sustainable and probably not the best way to grow. So like what, what kind of tips would you give to someone who's like, you know, maybe earlier on in terms of like, you know, building that steady growth? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is to be patient. Um, so I think you need a sense of urgency in the short term, but a sense of patience in the long term. So if you can if you can create this ability to, in your mind, toggle between these mindsets kind of on demand. So imagine if right, you need to get something done in the short term today, we have a project. So you need to be urgent and move the ball forward every day. But then if you go to a, a company strategy session and you're looking things from a high level, you need to be able to zoom out and see how far you've come or what you're actually trying to do. Because if you're too close to it, then every dollar looks like a good dollar. But if you zoom out, a lot of dollars aren't worth making because they take your eye off the ball. Uh, they kind of ruin your momentum. They incur additional costs, all these things that you don't really want to do. So I think something that that I've developed that I would urge people to faster than I did is be able to realize what mode you need to be in in the moment and then realize how to actually get yourself into that mode. Like there's usually physical cues. Everybody's different. Sometimes it might be like, go for a drive around the block. And it's like, now I'm in a long-term mode, whatever you need to do, uh, you got to figure that out. But they're two very different things. And if you're making long-term decisions with a short-term mindset that day, you may not be making the decisions that are the smarter so that you actually want. Yeah, man, it's interesting. I think, you know, one of my 
biggest mistakes early on in the business was just thinking very short term. I never kind of understood the concept of thinking long term. And it's crazy how like when you look at it through that frame, your decisions are so different, like on a day to day, right? Like a client that you might've signed because like, oh yeah, it's, you know, a few thousand bucks, but you're like, you know that that person's not like aligned with someone that you want to work with for the next two years, three years. Right. So right. it's, um, it takes, it definitely takes time and patience. And I, I agree with that statement where it's like, you know, you have patience in like the macro, but then like aggression in the micro to quote Gary V there for lack of a, like a better term. Yeah. You need both. You need both um, for sure. And, you know, I want to just touch back to that um, example of the story that you told of the guy who, you know, at the Boston Red Sox, like, because a lot of people, you know, preach, you know, manifestation universe and stuff like that. Like, where do you kind of sit in that spectrum of like, you know, you can like manifest and create anything you want versus like, you know, being kind of based in reality? Yeah, I think you can make anything, anything happen to a certain extent. I think more so it's like the mindset kind of guides your actions. And like, I actually think a lot of the time, if you look back, people's success, like the chain of events are, you know, you can kind of reverse engineer them. But I do think the real value comes from if you stay in the game long enough in anything, you're, you'll get opportunities that you cannot get if you quickly come in and out of game. So if you're switching up your business every year, you're never going to be in it long enough for an opportunity to come by where somebody wants it. If you if you are in um you know like a, a an example that comes to mind is like the company Pillpack that sold to Amazon. It's like they stayed in the game long enough to where Amazon said we want to enter this business and then they bought them. But if you just kind of start that and you're trying to to get in and get out too quickly, like you don't run into those opportunities because you're waiting for lightning to strike. Where if you pick a good industry and you build all the time, you're giving yourself the opportunity. Like at a certain point, the odds become in your favor and you get that fat tail event. So I think you can make anything happen. But I think if you're if you're changing up what you're doing a lot, then you ruin all that. You ruin the opportunity for the for the market to shift towards you or the stars to align in your favor. So, you know, I think that's a really that that's probably the biggest issue I see with young entrepreneurs today is like there's almost it's so easy to start a business that people are changing up all the time and then they're wondering why they're not having success. And it's like, well, you're not compounding anything. Correct. Correct. Like I yeah, I see it all the time. Like, you know, when I started my business three years ago, like I I've looked at these guys who I kind of connected with early on then they've had like three or four different things they've one year they're a sales guy, the next year they're like a branding guy. And like, you know, it's it's kind of incongruent. But like at the same time, like how do you know, do you have like a process to kind of identify when something isn't working and when to, you know, actually pivot? Because sometimes it can be a good strategy if like the business is generally not growing and you might see a new opportunity. Do you have like a, a process, a framework for that? Yeah, well, first of all, I agree with you. Staying around... Um is not always the right answer and pivoting is certainly we I've pivoted in my businesses several times. I mean, I think the number one thing to look at is like, who are your favorite customers you like dealing with? Right. So a lot of the time people deal with a wide range of customers and it's like they rather than focusing on the top customers, they focus on too many. So I think if ever you feel like you love a certain portion of your customers and not the rest, they need to pivot to focusing on, on those. So that's one process for pivoting. The other is if there's like, really big macro change that you can't control that, you know, may change a marketplace. Um, that could be regulation from a government. Like I think there's big risk in like the Airbnb stuff. 
Um, I think that's getting regulated heavily with like the, at least the U S government on like all these fees and stuff. And I think there was great yield there for a while. I think that's going to diminish quite a bit be because of that. So I think you need to be ready, right? If you're making all your money in that market and it's like, you see the government saying, Hey, there's like predatory stuff going on here. We don't like this. Like, you know, that might be a, a look for maybe you don't shut your business down overnight, but maybe you want to diversify into something new. So I think you just need to be like very aware of your surroundings and what's going on in the world and how that affects you. Because yeah, people do get wiped out when they're not paying attention. Definitely happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Like you really look at all, you know, observe the market, see what's going on. And if there's like a lot of red flags and that could be like, you know, a really good time to consider making that shift. For sure. Yeah. Maybe uh, rather than shut your business down, maybe sell it, right? Cash out at the right time. So there's always, there's always a way to uh, make a situation great for you. Um, but you just need to know, you know, you need to have a strong sense of what you think is going to happen next. And sometimes you might be wrong and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, on the topic of opportunity, what, what do you see the biggest opportunity in the next, you know, 12 to 36 months being? So I think clearly it's in AI. However, that manifests. Um, I'm not an AI expert by any stretch, but I think we're going to see a lot of companies pop up around that from people building on top of uh, open AI, from people building competitors to open AI, to people building agencies to help companies implement AI. Uh, so I think that is going to be the trend. My hunch is most of these things are overhyped a little bit and then they pull back. But I do think this this really is going to change a lot. Uh, frankly, I see that like I see the use cases for like relatively average businesses using AI to, to, to save or just kind of handle what maybe some agencies were handling before. Um, so I do think that is going to be kind of the, the talk of the town for the next you know period of years. Uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm trying to figure out how to make sure that I don't get crushed by it, but rather that I benefit from it. So I think we're all going through this a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think the the businesses that don't adapt and start using it will lose because, you know, when you could, you know, save six hours on a task that, you know, takes eight hours and you reduce that, you can, you know, obviously operate at a much higher level. And, you know, if people miss that, you know, they're going to fall behind to the people that are leveraging it. So I, I 100% agree that, AI is going to be no doubt the talk and yeah, there's going to be a lot of more things popping up, but I, I love it personally. Like it. Yeah. I think it's great. Easy. I think, yeah, I think it's great. I think outsourced labor too, at least like speaking from the perspective of the United States or like even Australia, um, more developed nations, I think, are I think the, the improvement in connectivity to the internet and the lowering cost of electronics is going to open up markets like the Philippines and certainly parts of Eastern Europe and, probably parts of Africa and India to like, there's going to be real opportunity and people with real talent in those places that now can like, communicate in a very clear way in the same way we're communicating now. That's been a real issue. I've done a lot of stuff with overseas and like, I've even noticed in the last 24 months, like the, the ability to hop on a zoom and talk like we're talking now without having to worry about the connection breaking is game changing for like actually creating real positions where you can rely on somebody to be there every day. So I think that, like it's probably it's probably like AI and like outsource like right there neck and neck I think, um, although that the the latter may not get as much press because I think AI sounds a lot a lot sexier than like outsourcing tasks overseas. But I think that's going to be a big thing too. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love it. And Bart, you know, what's one sentence piece of advice that you would give to someone who's you know 
maybe just looking to embark on their entrepreneurial journey. Keep your costs low. Using AI and uh, outsource labor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Keep your costs awesome. low. That's it, man. And where can people find you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Barrett J. O'Neill. I post on LinkedIn too. You can subscribe to my newsletter. Those are the best places to kind of stay up to date with what I have going on and sharing. Awesome, man. Appreciate the time. Cool. Thanks, Lewis.